easy to miss the reason for the season. So Advent, you see the, the Advent candle wreath, right? There's a few remind. The reason we do those things is to remind us for the reason of the season. An Advent candle wreath, it's symbolic of a few things, right? The candle, light into a dark world, right? So you have candles. Maybe you had that in your home. Maybe an Advent calendar, some different things that you did. The wreath, the wreath, the circle nature of the wreath, symbolic with no beginning and no end of the eternality of Jesus. The candles, symbolic. Different, different denominations, different churches have different meanings for the candles. But the first purple one, the candle of prophecy. The second one, the candle of preparation. The third one, the candle of hope. And then you have Christ in the middle and the candle of joy. And it's just, it's just to remind us of what this is all about. Because even in the church, you can get so caught up. I, I know right now we're as stretched as we can. Not me. I have it easy. I just do the welcome for the Christmas special, and then I get to goof around and throw out shirts and ask Christmas uh, movie trivia questions. But the people who are behind the scenes and the people on the stage, they're exhausted. I mean, after just weeks and weeks and weeks of work, but here they are again today, fourth performance in three days, and they're ready to go at it again. So this is a really exciting time. And even all of us who are engaged, you can forget about Jesus. It's just there's so much going on. So that's why we pause. And what we did is we shifted the focus, right? Because we teach apologetically. What does that mean? We, we, we want to make sure that we understand the reasons for our faith. You don't need that to know you're saved, right? You know you're saved. The inner witness and testimony of the Holy Spirit tells you you're saved, right? But in order for you to engage in the culture, you have to have some reasons for why you believe, right? Because they ask, why? So this sermon series, it was called A, a Season of Reason. Instead of, so we flipped it. Instead of a reason, right, right, the season of reason. Instead of the reason for the season, which is Jesus, we flipped it so that we could give you some real solid biblical and extra biblical information so that you could deeply understand the truth of this Christmas story. So this is sermon number three. The first one was the reason of when, remember, in the fullness of time. The time was as pregnant as Mary was. It was the perfect time. We can't unpack that now. You can go back and listen to it, but it was the, the perfect time that God had chosen. That was the reason of when. Then last week, the reason of who. And it wasn't all the who's down in Whoville, the young and the small. It was the who of Christmas, Jesus. And we saw the reason for the who. Now this week, check this out. The reason of how. How did this happen? How? And, and, and I promise when we're done, you won't, know completely how. No one does. No one ever has. But you'll have a, hopefully, a little deeper understanding of the how. Okay? Reason of how. Isaiah 9, 6, and 7. Very familiar passage. Many of you probably know it by heart. We're going to read it from Isaiah. And then again, the passages that we've chosen, so you can go there in your Bibles, or it'll be on the screen, Isaiah 9, 6 to 7. The passages are not typical Christmas passages, if you will. Last week, we were in Revelation. So we're not at the Christmas story. But these are the deeper biblical truths of the entire story message. Yes? Isaiah 9, 6 to 7. Know this. The efforts to reconcile the divine and the human nature of Jesus have resulted in a number of classic historical misinterpretations. We're going to talk about that so that we can really understand what it is we believe and why. Okay? But there have been many who have messed up the understanding of the human and divine nature. Okay? We'll talk through that. Isaiah 9, 6 to 7. Hear now the word of God. For to us... A child is born to us, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, 
mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. And may God add his rich blessing to his inspired and errant and fallible word. Let's pray. Father, it is no accident we're here this morning, everyone, by divine appointment, which means you have something to speak into each heart. Speak now through this broken vessel and speak only your words from this pulpit. Make it a word of salvation for the unsaved, a word of comfort for those in storm winds, and a word of rest for the tired, weary, and heavy laden. All things to all people that some might be saved. Give us ears to hear and minds to understand and hearts that beat for nothing smaller than Christ. Come. Now, fount of every blessing, unclutter our minds and unburden our hearts that we might see Jesus and him only. And it's in Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said. Okay, three very, very simple headings. The last one is really all about you, and we'll just unpack this briefly. Number one, a child is born. Number two, a son is given. But none of that matters unless number three has happened to you. That's what matters most. Is this child born and is this son given to you? Is that your truth? A couple things that we're going to talk about, just a couple major errors in the church. Again, we're, this is a reasonable faith. We want to talk about reasons as we go through and, and, and work through it. Let me show you one here from the second century. Uh, Ducetism is, is, is an, an error that came up in the church, in the early church, from the Greek word um, dokesis, to seem... Uh, as an apparition, a phantom, this, this taught that Jesus wasn't physical in his nature. How many of you, he only appeared to have a body, he was not incarnate, but how many of you have been to Disney World, you've been in the, into the Haunted Mansion, and you've been on the ride, and you get to that area, and you see those ghosts dancing around in there, right? Those, those, that's that's what this is. To put it in a context that's easy to understand, for me to understand, that, that's what they believed. That Jesus was, what, not that he was at the Magic Kingdom, not that he was in a haunted mansion, but he was like a haunted being. He was a haunted spirit. Why? Matter, matter, matter was believed to be inherently evil. So they had nothing to do with matter. Had to get, had, had, freedom was to get out of matter, to leave the body behind, right? And we can't get into all of those Worldviews, but it was it was bad. Rejected the idea that God could appear in bodily form. It was beyond their comprehension. And by denying the body, now you deny the body. Now again, there's 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 the domino effect. You say, well, what what is this matter? And what is it? That's what we're gonna, when we talk about it in the disciple making disciple. You'll see the ground we've given up already as the church, and we keep giving up ground until there'll be no ground left. There are things that we have to stand up for and say no. So so. You, we can't give up the fact that he had a physical body. What difference does it make? It makes all the difference in the world. No body, there's no cross. No cross, there's no rising from the dead. Yes? Okay. Changes everything. You have to understand that. That's real. So this was rejected in what we call the first council of Nicaea in 325 AD. All divinity, no humanity. So he couldn't suffer. He couldn't die. Okay? Where's that rejected immediately? Forget the council. Where is it rejected in Scripture? John. You know John 1.1, 1, 1, but then John 1.14 tells us what? And the Word became flesh. He tabernacled. 
He set up his tent, his fleshly body, and dwelt among us. There's the promise that was fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet a couple hundred years later, they're dissecting the scriptures. Let me tell you the root of the problem. I'll just make one point and then we'll leave it, and we'll leave it for January. Here is the root of the problem. The denial of the authority of the word of God. Is that clear? That's it. That is what's being denied today. That we are able to pick and choose what we say is right, what we say matters, what we say is true. It is denying the authority of the word of God. Just look across the water and look at Europe and see what that did and how empty those church buildings are turned into coffee houses and movie theaters and being bulldozed and used for other purposes. It's, it's, we're there. And the church must be the church. Either we take God at his word or we don't. And we can't pick and choose. Either the word became flesh or he didn't. So now we've got to follow the line. You know the line as a descendant. If it's flesh, there's a descending line. Let's just be brief and look at the line. The descendant of the woman Eve. Remember the great prophecy, the great proto-evangelion, the great first gospel promise that we were aware of, right? That happened in the garden. The first gospel promise happened in the eternal council that we see in Hebrews 13, 20, right? The blood of the eternal covenant. But for, for our purposes in the garden, what do we see in Genesis three fifteen? <clears throat> God speaking to the serpent, I, God says, I will put enmity between you and the woman. But notice the key word. Pen, depending on your translation, it may not be in there, so I, I put it in for you. But it's there. It's in, it's in, it's in the original. So I, I didn't add anything in the Hebrew. Uh, offspring is the seed. Why is that important to understand that? What seed do you have, women? You have no seed. Okay, so what is that right from the beginning? What, what, are, we, what are we reading about? There's something supernatural going on here. We, we don't know right then and there. Moses, how, how would he to understand? I don't know. Under inspiration. But we see now. How do we read the Bible now? We read it backwards. Right? We have both Testaments. So you start at Revelation. You look back. You go all the way back to Genesis. You go, wow. The old is revealed in the new. The new is concealed in the old. That's Augustine. And now it all fits together beautifully. So we have this seed. Women have no seed. So where does the seed come from? It's got to come from above. Now we find out not only does the seed come from above, who's the seed? Jesus. Powerful. Powerful. So now we see the prophecy. You'll, he'll, he'll crush your head. You'll strike his heel. Right? That's the battle. And then what? Fulfillment. Galatians 4.4. We unpacked that when we did the reason of when. But when the time had fully come, in the fullness of time, time was, I told you, was as pregnant as Mary. God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law. Truly human. Under the, why under the law? The law had to be fulfilled. We couldn't do it. So under the law. Okay, got it? Now, we're going to go further. We've got to go past Eve. So we go to Abraham. Genesis 18, 18, Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation, and all the nations on the earth will be blessed through him. That's the prophecy. So where do we find that fulfilled? Remember, prophecy and fulfillment is a great way to strengthen your faith. This is, this is the season of reason. Again, I, 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 used, I know I say this often, but I, it, it overwhelms me. Dr. Kennedy's 333 prophecies rooted in the birth, 
the life, the death, the resurrection, and the ascension of Jesus. All of that fulfilled. 333. You, you couldn't make this stuff up. And then there are more to be fulfilled at his second coming, yes? So all of it's not fulfilled yet. He hasn't come back yet. The kingdom of God has been initiated. It hasn't been consummated. When he comes back, every enemy will be put under his feet. Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. So we have this prophecy. So now we need to find the fulfillment. Sometimes we have a tendency to read very quickly if you go through the Bible every year or if you spend time in the portions where they have these genealogies. Aren't those kind of just tough to go through? I used to skip through them. And I do sometimes even now. But they're important. They're critical. Right? Listen. A record of the genealogy of Jesus, the son of David. Now we've got to go further back than that. The son of Abraham. The son of the woman Eve. Now we'll go to David. He's also a descendant of... Remember, he has to be in the line. Remember how Joseph and Mary had to go back to the town of David? He had to be in that line. So now we go to David. 2 Samuel 7, 12 to 16. I will raise up, for your off, I'll raise up your offspring to succeed you who will come from your own body. Well, the first horizon in which this was written, that would be speaking of Solomon. We know that. But it's deeper than that. It doesn't stop there. There's something beyond that. that, that that's the earthly promise. But there's also a heavenly promise. There's an eternal promise in this. Watch. He is the one who will build a house for my name. Solomon actually built the physical temple. Yes, remember? David wanted to build it. Sol- no, no, no. You're a man of war. Your son will. But it's deeper than that. Watch. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Now it transcends the physical. We rise above the physical kingdom. We're going down to the spiritual kingdom. And the true. Who is the true son? The true son. It's Jesus. He's the greater son. He's the perfect son. Your throne, this is the throne of David, will be established forever. How's that even possible? Well, someone has to be eternal. So now, because we know it it didn't happen in the physical realm, we know that. So now the fulfillment in Romans, so now the the prophecy and the fulfillment, Romans 1 3, regarding his son, who as to his human nature was a descendant of David. All of this fits. So all of this is designed to strengthen you in your faith. John Calvin put it this way. I use quotes at times because they're just far better than what I could put together. Christ has put on our feelings. This is important at this time of year, and I'll tell you why in just a moment, along with our flesh. This can be a very, you know how we, we, right, we come to the Christmas shows and we, you hear them singing, this is the most wonderful time of the year. That's not true all the time. That's not true for some people. This is a very difficult time of the year. There are all different times of the year that can be very difficult. Right? You get ready for your, your, Christmas, your, your, your Christmas day at your home, let's say. And maybe this year for the first time there's a chair that will be forever empty. But it could be a wonderful time that perhaps there's a chair that will be filled this year that you never expected to have filled. We have this admixture of, of, of great joy and great sorrow all the time. Why? Because we're broken people living in a broken world. Here's what we have to remember. That Jesus didn't just come to give you eternal life. There are so many people in the church who that's, what, that's all they see this as. He came to give you everyday life. You know that Jesus is redeeming your emotions? He's redeeming your broken heart. He's redeeming all of the things that didn't go well. He's redeeming everything. 
And if we didn't have a God who was human, it would be hard for me to receive that. But he's as human as you and I. He was really flesh. Look at this passage and then realize what that means. And this is the God that we have. Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. He didn't grow as the second person of the Godhead. He grew in his humanity. Fully man. Fully man. But notice, Jesus also grew just like you. Tired. Hungry. Thirsty. Sorrowful. Troubled in his spirit. Just like us. Know this, Jesus is fully man to save our manhood fully. That's what Jesus has promised to do. Every emotion, every single broken part of what's going on inside of you will be made whole. He will fix the wound of every empty chair every sound that you will never hear again. That's the promise of this child that was born. But we don't stop there. Now we have a son that was given. This is the deity of Christ. This is a great Christological concept that nobody can fully understand. But there was another great error, and, 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 and I'll just be brief. Arianism is the name. Arius was a priest in Alexandria in the 4th century. And here's what was believed. Jesus was a special creation for man's salvation. God created him. He is an extraordinary man, but he is not God. Okay? I'm not going to mention any names and any denominations and, and groups, but... I'm always happy to entertain any, anyone that comes by. So occasionally, and you may have been exposed to this, you hear whoever they might be. And it sounds like they believe what we believe. Because they'll say to you, well, we believe that Jesus is the Son of God. There's no doubt that Jesus is the Son of God. And, and it sounds like, okay, we're, we're, we're tracking. We, we're, we're just like you. We, but, Okay, what do you mean the Son of God? Is he the eternal Son of... Well, well no, he's, he's a created being. Jesus did not eternally exist. And we have people traveling the streets and, and, and selling that to us. That's where we have to part ways. Yes, he's the Son of God. We're in agreement there, but our definition of the Son of God is not the same. He's eternally the Son of God. Begotten of the Father. I'm going to explain to you what that means in a moment when I show you Psalm 2. He's not a created being. His manhood was created, but not his deity. He is eternally self-existent. He says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I and the Father are one. Before Abraham was, I am. I have always existed. There was never a time when I was not. So we part ways with those who say Jesus is the Son of God, but he's created as that being. No. No. We don't believe in Arianism. He's eternal. Rejected in the first council of Nicaea, 325. He always existed. 
So now, watch this prophecy, and I'm going to show it. It will be very brief. Psalm 2-7. This, you could spend months. Scholars have spent years on this. This is so good and so deep. I'd be very, very brief. I will, Psalm 2-7. This is the prophecy of the resurrection. But you have to be careful in unpacking it. And, and, but what's the best way for you to understand Scripture? To hear from me? Shake your heads now like this. Go like this. No, no. No, for, 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 for the church to do it? So, no, 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 no. For the commentators? To, no, 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 no. What's the best way to understand Scripture? Scripture. Scripture interprets Scripture. I'm going to show you the interpretation of this in the book of Acts. Right in the scripture, exactly what this means. We don't have to think about it. We don't have to guess it. We don't have to, I wonder what this is deep. No, no, no. It's already unpacked. So let's look at the prophecy. I will proclaim the decree of the Lord. He said to me, you are my son. There's the glorious divinity. You are my son. But now here's where it gets a little tricky. But I'll show you. But I'll make it real simple. Today I have become, in the original, begotten. Begotten. But listen to me. Begotten means to be brought forth. Brought forth from where? Brought forth from where? From the grave. This is the resurrection. Not brought forth from God's loins or something. He doesn't have loins. It's a misunderstanding. The the son is begotten. Brought forth from the dead. This is the promise of the resurrection. Watch. Here's where it's explained. We don't have to guess. Acts 13, 30 to 34. The raising from the dead confirms his deity. God says, this is my son. I have begotten. It confirms that it's the eternal son of God. Having been what? God's stamp of approval is an empty tomb. Watch. But God raised. Him from the dead. And for many days he was seen by those who had traveled with him from Galilee to Jerusalem. They are now his witnesses to our people. We tell you the good news, what God promised, what God promised our fathers. This is the promise. This is why your faith has so much reason in it. He has fulfilled for us their children by raising up Jesus. As it is written, where? In the second psalm, you are my son. Today I have become your father or begotten you. Or as the word would be translated in the Hebrew, brought forth from the dead. That is the promise fulfilled. The fact that God raised him from the dead Never to decay is stated in these words. And here we go, even more to strengthen your faith. I will give you the holy and sure blessings promised to David. David saw decay. David died in his generation when he finished his ministry and was put in the grave. Not Jesus to decay. He died and was then brought back from the dead the promised resurrection 
And, and notice how it's stated in Psalm 2-7 as if it had already been accomplished and in the mind of God it had been. And then if you want to even go deeper to be even stronger in your faith, if you look at the way the construction and the language, it's using the tenses of the, the words, it's called a completed action. Raised from the dead with ongoing implications for you right now today. The power of the resurrection for you. Ongoing implications in the completed act. This is... Oh. Romans 1.4 And who, through the spirit of holiness, was declared with power to be the son of God. That was God's stamp of approval on that, that he approved of what Jesus did. When Jesus said it was finished, we weren't sure. How do, he's, he's, he died. They all walked away. They're hiding. He's dead. It's over. What they believed in died on a cross. It's done. But God gave his stamp of approval, broke the Roman seal, rolled the stone away. Raised him from death to life. A dead man got up and walked. Power to be the Son of God by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ our Lord. Matthew says this. A couple more. Then I'll give you a great quote. And a voice came from heaven. This is my son whom I love. With him I am well. That wasn't for the benefit of Jesus. It was for the audience there. So that the great evangelist could write it down and report it to us 2,000 years later. A voice from heaven. How about this voice from heaven on the Mount of Transfiguration? Remember this one? 17.5 in the same, same book, Matthew. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud enveloped them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. Listen to him. And can I make a point of listening to him if you happen to have one of those? And there's nothing wrong with a red-letter Bible. Just know that you should color all the letters in it red. Because every single word in the Bible is, is, is Jesus, right? It's the word of God. Everyone he spoke from beginning to end. From Genesis to in the beginning, God to amen. It's all him, okay? Nothing wrong with the red letter. It just highlights where he's actually speaking in, 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 as in, in the physical nature part of it. I, that's, that's good. But know that it's all his. Every single word from beginning to end. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with... And the word was Second Peter. Peter finally got it. He didn't get it on the Mount of Transfiguration. Lord, shall I set up some tabernacles so we can hang out here? I'll make one for you, Moses, and for Elijah. And we'll just hang. No, Peter. So Peter's running and hiding. He's denying Jesus. He's done. It's over. It's finished. What happens to Peter? He's got to see something. Can't just be a story, he's told. Can't just be an empty tin. Empty. Listen. Ooh, stop, please. An empty tomb. What does that prove? Say nothing. Nothing. Don't go running around telling people about an empty tomb unless you have something else to go with it. Empty tomb doesn't mean a thing. You need an empty tomb and what? Eyewitness accounts. You got to have something to go with that empty tomb. Peter sees the tomb is empty. That's, that's okay. He's confused. He's got to see him. And then on the, on the, oh, Mac beautifully enacting that out on the shoreline. 
fellas, have you any fish? And Jesus is making breakfast. And he restores Peter. Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Why three times? He denies Jesus three times. Peter finally gets it. And he dies a martyr. Church tradition tells us he dies a martyr's death. For he received honor, glory, and, um, honor and glory from the Father. When the voice came from the majestic glory saying, This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Now Peter, now he testifies. We ourselves heard this voice that came from the heaven. And we were with him on that sacred mountain. We testify that we saw what happened. We heard what happened. We were there. And he's willing to die for it. I could spend three lifetimes and never get a quote like this. This is from the great 18th, in the 1800s, the great prince of preachers, Charles Spurgeon. And then I'm just going to go right to the close. Just listen to these words. Listen to these words on, on trying to put together fully God, fully man. The doctrine of the eternal affiliation of Christ is to be received as an undoubted truth. Of our holy religion. But as to any explanation of it, no man should venture thereon. For it remaineth among the deep things of God, one of those solemn mysteries indeed into which the angels dare not look, nor do they desire to pry into it, a mystery, which we must not attempt to fathom, for it is utterly beyond the grasp of any finite being. You know the problem today? People don't see themselves small enough. They've shrunk the size of God, and they see themselves bigger than the Almighty. But notice now what Charles Spurgeon says. There was a time when we saw ourselves small. That humility is gone. Listen to these words. As well might a gnat seek to drink in the ocean as a finite creature to comprehend the eternal God. A God whom we could understand would be no God. If we could grasp him, he could not be infinite. If we could understand him, he would not be divine. There are some things, beloved, we take by faith. That's it. That's the truth that sets us free. But is it to you? I just want to show you two categories. There is a category where the son is not born to and not given. So who this son is not born and given to? Take a look at Luke 18. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself. God, I thank you that I am not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all that I get. Make no mistake. This son is not given. And this child is not born to those who have no need of a savior. The Pharisee was saving himself. He had no need of a Savior. He was thanking God that he was better than everyone. I thank thee, O God, I'm not like these dregs of society. So there's no way that child could be given or born to him. How? There's no need for one. But who this son is born and given to? I pray this is all of us. Same story few verses later but the tax collector stood at a distance this was the guy the pharisee just condemned he would not even look up to heaven see how small he was he couldn't even look into heaven 
but on his face before God and beating upon his breast. He said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I have no hope save your mercy. I cannot save myself. I do not thank thee, O God, I'm not like other men. I am the worst of all men. And I need your grace. So how do we understand the reason of how? How do we close it? For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. If Jesus is born to you, don't miss this. If Jesus is born to you, then you are born again. And if Jesus is given to you, you are given to him. That's the gospel. That's the truth that sets us free. For unto us a child is born, born like any other child that was ever born, but a son given, only one. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. If you have never prayed to receive this Christ, this is a moment of salvation. Not tomorrow. Not next week. Who knows who will be here tomorrow? Any one of us could be gone today on the ride home. This is a moment of salvation right now. By way of the internet, if you have never surrendered control to Christ, with outstretched arms and nail-scarred hands, Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You come by grace through faith. You come with a heart that is broken, knowing that you cannot fix yourself. And you will know this day that this child has been born to you. And this son has been given by grace through faith. And you will leave this place. You will know wherever you are on the internet right now that nothing will ever separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Not your sin, not Satan, not society. Nothing will separate you from Christ. It's the only relationship you will ever have that you will never lose. And I know this time of year is difficult for so many. My mom died a week before Christmas, my dad Christmas Day. And these are reminders of open wounds. But they point us to a relationship that never dies. That never goes away. That heals the broken heart. And fills the empty chairs. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the truth of the gospel. We pray right now if there's anyone here, anybody by way of the internet who has never surrendered control to Christ. May this child be born and the son given to them by grace through faith. May they pray simply these words, oh God, I see myself not as the Pharisee, but as the tax collector. Oh God, be merciful to me, the sinner. Give me the gift of your son. I cry out to you. I cannot fix myself. I fall at your feet. And I trust in Christ alone. This is the gospel. This is the saving work of our 
God. This is the reason of how. In Christ's name.